Hey, Warners, welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About. I'm Gina Tremarco, and today I have a special guest. She refers to herself as a human spark plug, and she is. She, like the first time I ever talked to her, we just, at least I did, I don't know, she can talk about whether or not she did. I just resonated with her. Like you, when you meet that person and you're like, you just could keep talking about everything. And I saw her following me on Instagram, but didn't realize it was her. And then I had to like look closer. I'm like, oh my gosh, it is her because she's into cigars. As by the way, we didn't talk about it. I am too. But we'll get into all of that. But anyway, welcome Amanda Ritanic Hannes. And I'm giving you your whole name because we're going to talk about that. Amanda Ritanic Hannes. Welcome. Thank you so much. Awesome. We should have made smoke while we were having this. That would have been awesome. You know what? I haven't told you this, but as this episode comes out, this show is going through a little bit of a transition this year. And it's kind of over the next couple of months is going to find its way and evolve into something new. And I'm slowly revealing that, but I'm staying really open to what that's going to look like. And now I'm feeling like cigars and bourbon might not be a bad idea to put in the show. I don't know. I'm going to put that out there. Before we go any further, just introduce yourself to the audience, where you work, what you do, and then we're just going to roll with it because there are so many things that we can talk about. Well, thank you. Well, I currently reside in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm a recent transplant there, which is a fun story all in of itself. I am originally from the greater Chicagoland area. If I call it Chicago, someone will beat me up in the comments section, right? Because I'm totally a suburbanite. I said it, but it was still the same county as Chicago. So I claim it. I am a professional sales leader and a national sales manager at a Fortune 200 dental software company and a ultra high performer and career long salesperson. I absolutely love and am passionate about the sales profession. There is nothing like rocking a commission check to transform lives. The power I have seen in my own journey um, of paying off $89,000 of student loans with commission checks in 18 months or helping reps get out of debt, put kids through college. Like there is no profession like sales that enables and empowers people to make changes in their lives in a quick and dramatic way. So just couldn't say enough about the sales profession and how to transform and the Fortune 200 company you're with, go ahead and promote it. Oh, I work for Henry Shine One. Awesome. Awesome. There's so much I want to talk about. And we're just going to flow with this because I, the, between your vibe and my vibe, first of all, let's talk about Chicago for a second. You're right. You're right. Anytime someone says they're from Chicago, I say, what part of Chicago? Because I want to, and they're like, Schomburg. I'm like, not Chicago. That's not Chicago. <laughs> they ask you, is what high school did you go to? It's like, guys, come on. Why are we so obsessed? And what nationality is your last name? Is it Greek? Is it Polish? Like, it's so ethnic centric. We just want to speak a common language and fight about which hot dog joint we all are loyal to, for sure. Hey, okay. Different. Okay. What hot dog joint? Oh, Gene and Jude's. Okay. Yes. So I did tell you this, but I did grow up not too far from where you grew up. So I grew up on the other side of Harlem, on the Chicago side, in Montclair Galewood, on the border of Elmwood Park and Oak Park. So just down the road from you 
And my mom later in life moved over to River Grove where we could walk to Jean and Jude's. Just saying. Just I saying. love that journey for you. And the other classic you went to is Johnny's for Italian. Johnny's. I was going there. Okay. Yes. Johnny's. I miss Johnny's. Okay. So we had to get the we had to get the Chicago thing out of the way because we've got that going on. Well, let's talk a little bit about your I thought that was really kind of interesting of your upbringing and how you ended up in sales and just how you look at it. How did you get into the sales realm? Yeah, well, I guess my first sales job was in fourth grade when I went to a parochial school. If you don't know what that is, that's like a poor Christian school, right? And so the students are their fundraisers. And every day I would take the phone book out and sit on the step and call local businesses and sell $75 and $125 ads. And I won that ad selling contest every single year that I went to this school. I think they cried when my parents transferred me because they were like, and a seller an advertising book. And so I learned that because there was no child care in the 90s, Gina. My mom was a realtor and I sat under her desk because she prospected and I played with my toys from the dollar store next door. G.I. Joe's, Barbie's, all the things. And I listened to her talk. And it was funny because one thing that sticks out to me about her was she always would call, even though she knew these little, little sweet old ladies would never buy from her. Because of the rejection, she just wanted to talk to a friendly voice. And I'll never forget her not ending her day except for calling one of those go-to people because they were lonely and she could at least have a positive confirmation conversation before the end of the day. And that just left an impression as a young person. What a great, like that's a great little pro hack. Right? Oh my gosh, I love that. I end my day doing podcasts. Sometimes I start it and sometimes I end it. And I never really thought about it that way because it is it is such a great way to end my day, right? To have a fun, interesting conversation that invigorates, but it is positive. What a great little tip for salespeople. End your day with a call to a friendly voice and not think about, oh my gosh, I got to make a call and get rejected. And from there, I went on to get my bachelor's in social work, which my parents cried again. They were like, how are you going to make any money? And it was, I, I blame all those service projects I did in high school. I wanted to volunteer and be more than just a good heart. And what I learned about that was if you were going to affect change, you better make a lot of freaking money. And so I graduated with this four years degree and I was like, shoot, what am I going to do? And so I started grad school five days after undergrad. And um, thankfully, the school that I went to, Aurora University, forced me in my nonprofit leadership classes to take MBA classes. And I fell in love with those professors. And they helped me do some lofty professional development things like write a eulogy, which sounds crazy, and a mission statement. And I was like, so sold. And so I transferred. But all that time to pay for grad school, I was in sales. Because what other job can you make enough money to pay for school, except for a sales job, right? Yeah, yeah. That's so. So you went to go get higher education because you saw social work. Like, how am I going to pay the bills? So then, what was your first sales job? Well, uh, I, with the ripe old age of nineteen, called my actually Mr. Roloff's my my history teacher in high school had a a sales rep come in and talk to us about like 
ERA, IRAs and Roths and, and employee benefits and all of that just to learn life skills and finance. And I kept that man's card and I called Northwestern Mutual at 19 and said, I just signed up for a lot of student loans. I'm very worried about getting hit by a car. I don't know. College seems dangerous. I don't want to derail my parents' retirement. Do you think I can buy some life insurance? I'm not worth very much. Do you have like a new person that's in training? I don't want to waste anyone's time. And they thought it was a prank call. And I said, no, I'm calling you from my dorm room. I really need life insurance now that I have all this debt. And they hired me for an internship at Northwestern Mutual, which I know it gets a bad rap if you've gotten called by all your nieces and nephews, but it is the best business boot camp to learn how to schedule appointments, what to dress like for success, calendaring, follow-up, how to write emails. I got so much out of that internship. It's not a surprise to me that it continues to be a top 10 Forbes business internship in the country because it really does teach you that independence. And you have to get licensed. At 19, I started getting my life insurance license and really interesting, right? At, At that age. So that was my first sales job. Wow. Okay. So I've got a couple questions with this. First of all, what 19 year old is thinking about life insurance? Like what, where did that pop up into your head that you needed life insurance? Well, I think in your grandpa. So I have an old soul. And so like I made a joke about writing my eulogy, the rest of my life and everyone I know's life's plan for the next 25 years. But I think it did come from really growing up in a non-traditional maybe home. And I didn't think that it was until I, I grew up and saw my friends or went to college. But we really struggled financially. My parents, my mom was a, a foster child who aged out of the system with really no mentors or support. My dad, second generation American, I'm Greek and Polish. And so the Greek boy married the Polish girl next door, or did I mix that? And so no one came to the wedding. And so they really had a hard time finding their roots in America. And so we really probably, we did actually qualify for assistance, but my dad was so prideful that we wouldn't do that. And I'll never forget, my birthday is a week before Christmas. I really wanted Lisa Frank all these stickers, okay? Everybody had them. And I'll never forget, my mom crying, and I, I found her crying in prayer that she couldn't even afford to buy me stickers and that she was a failure as a parent. But what she doesn't know is that was my favorite Christmas because we wrote each other letters and we gave each other our hearts. And that was the most meaningful gift we could have ever given to each other. And so I think my financial human comes from a place of wanting not to be without, wanting to make sure that I'm planning ahead What I think interests me in sales is that control over what I can make because what I like about money is choice. I may choose to go to Chipotle every day, but that's a choice I'm going to be able to make. And that freedom (laughs) is so freeing. I I love that. And there's so much to be said about growing up in an immigrant family, as I did as well. And my mother was born in Germany or Poland or Germany. It went back and forth during that yeah, time. 23 of me is confusing. <laughs> yeah, because it was, I think it was German occupied. No, German occupied Poland, but we were German by descent. And then my father was first generation Italian. Again, right, when you grow up that way, you really learn to value everything. Similarly, going to college, I had to, I had to figure out a way to pay for it. There wasn't as much pride as there was. My dad was so much older that 
we didn't have the money to send me to college. So it's like, you can go, but you're going to have to find your way there. And so you get resourceful and you appreciate everything that you do. And at the same time, you want to get out of that. You you don't, you want to be able to go to Chipotle if you want, if it's a choice. Well, extra and so am I, right? I mean, let's go. Oh my God. That's the best. Guac is extra and so am I. That is... Now, as a professional sales leader, you want to ask, hey, did you have any childhood trauma? Like, and I can't ask that, right? But like, did you have to bootstrap anything? Did you have to pay your way? Did you have to overcome adversity? And are you still positive? And I say that cheekily. And we can't compare pain. And I would never want anyone to have the upbringing I had. But... When I think about how resilient it's made me, I'm so grateful looking back for just like understanding that hustle and that grind, right? Yeah, I think there's so much to be said about that. To your point, it's we got to be careful what we say when we're interviewing and recruiting and things like that. At the same time, there is a lot to be said about childhood trauma from a positive standpoint. So if we can recognize, I've talked about this a lot. I know you've listened to the show, but if, if I can recognize someone's trauma or trigger, then mm-hmm. I can more effectively lead them because I need to understand. I just had this conversation with a friend today. I'm like, I'm not someone who needs praise, but what I don't do well with is any kind of degradation or putting me down for something. Right. That's that would be a trigger. And if we can understand that about people, we can lead them a little bit differently. And we can also leverage the good parts of the trauma. Right. Like you said, like the bootstrapping. Right. How do I get creative with this? I only have so much money to spend. How can I do this? Or what are what's another way to look at it? And the resilience. I'm not sure if you heard this episode. I did an episode with someone who wrote a book called Immigrant Mm -hmm. and She is an immigrant that came to this country, became a lawyer, got her MBA. And she talks a lot about how she wants companies to start working past not promoting immigrants because there's so much bias around just things like accent bias when you hear someone's accent and you make certain assumptions. And the reality is immigrants growing up, going up the ladder, have a lot of grit and resilience based on that. And we all have this unique perspective that we can't take off, right? We all have those proverbial glasses based off of the people we've met and the interactions we've had that make us unique. And it is our diversity of thought. And the best teams that I've ever been a part of, the highest performing teams that I've ever been a part of, were the most diverse in every sense of the world. It was multi-generational, multi-teams. And I do love the higher non-traditional hires because they ask the obvious questions. They're not afraid and they don't make assumptions. And so I can completely understand and appreciate what you're saying. Yeah. So you've been with Harry Shine One for how long? Six, seven years? Yeah, it's hard to believe. So long story short, I was working as an intern, selling those financial services, graduated college and was so disheartened and had to figure out how to make money. And so I used my kind of social network to find a job on Wall Street, right? Because those people make big commission checks. And so my first job out of college was on an institutional bond desk. And 
field to call an MIT 100 bonds. It's great, Gina, in my long-term portfolio, but it was like the most beautiful prison, 52 stories above the Chicago Yacht Club because there were no people. I just had like a computer terminal and I had to get coverage of the desk if I wanted to go make a party break. It was, and I was like, don't you just love how glamorous it is working downtown? I'm like, you downtown? I don't know right the year. I don't know. And I got to be on the desk before Europe closes. And so I was absolutely not in my genius. And so I remembered a, a man who bought out his portion of um, the insurance book and sold employee benefits from the internship and called him and said, hey, hire me to call you a great intern. Done. And so I ended up selling employee benefits for a little bit. And that felt so good to my social work heart because I was enabling healthcare to happen, right? Helping all of these employees navigate healthcare and extend, getting more resources, right? Like care for your dog, right? Like it was so interesting to me being on the employee resource side. And then my best customer poached me. He was like, I love your process. I love your professionalism. You're so organized. And so I ended up selling outsourced revenue cycle management for hospital systems in the Southeast. And that was really fun. And at that time, I wasn't having a good work-life balance. I was newly married and my territory was the entire country. And every day to be on a different plane just wasn't really sustainable. And so obviously that marriage ended because I didn't understand what it took to invest in a loving relationship with a partner because I was just so looking for my identity and my career at that age emotionally. So, yeah. 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 So so you went over to Henry Schein. Was that when you? Yeah, I had a recruiter actually call me and I had just graduated from my night MBA. So I'm selling these employee benefits and selling all these other bonds in the day and then going to school at night. And so I just had this minted MBA in my pocket and a recruiter called me and said, would you like to be in a lead generation marketing role. And I thought, well, I've been in sales and I probably should learn better how marketing and sales could work together. And that's cool because MQLs, every salesperson needs those. So yeah, this seems like the next step. She's like, you'd have one direct report. And I was like, sold. And it was like a third of my pay. But I was like, you got to take a step back sometimes to take a step up. And so I'm so grateful that I did do that. And it was really a lot of fun. I got to manage the trade shows and we went to 72. So if you want to talk about scrappy sales strategies at trade shows, I am your gal. (laughs) That is so awesome. And earlier you talked about yourself as a people leader, as a very young people leader at a Fortune 200 company. Talk a little bit about your leadership approach, your leadership style. And then I want to start talking a little bit about what you do with helping women and helping women show up. I think that was another way that we resonated. I know when we first started talking was about maybe working with some of the women in your organization, but let's talk about you as a people leader. I love this question. And so this is a comment for anybody going through a big, audacious, scary change. So I'm working for this tiny digital marketing company in their marketing department. And I'm seeing all these really important executives come from Henry Schein into the office. And and I was learning that we were about to do a joint venture. And I was missing sales and kind of missing that part of the world. And I had such a great exposure play in marketing. And I'm so grateful for um, the mentors and the leaders that I had there. And I 
a Osan open sales position on this new joint venture team where we were taking dental software products and connecting them to a practice management system, kind of like an EHR for a hospital for a dentist. And our companies had all the little fun add-ons that maybe you hadn't thought of connecting, but that you'd add over time. And so why not make that easy. People went to school to be dentists, not to get their MBA, right? And so they need non-clinical workflows just to work, right? And all in in kind of one password, one username experience, a single sign-on, we call it. And so I thought that would be really a fun way to get back into sales. And so I knocked on the door and said, I'd like to throw my name in the hat to go back into that world. And so I came in as a product sales specialist. I think that in most software sales world, the only one step up from an SDR, right? Or VDR. And I learned a lot and moved into being an AE. And I had probably the lowest average sales price on my team and was hopelessly average. And so I worked hard and not smart. And it wasn't until I really discovered the Sales Gravy podcast. They did mail me fanatical prospecting when I first started. And that became my Bible. And I probably reread that in every sales club because I was like, oh, Maybe I can do my voicemail better. And that was probably the first book that let me trust myself. I still have it on my vision board. It was a September. And for the first time, I had been the first AE that ended that year. And this team was career salespeople selling this software, Gina. Very established company, very established team. And I had such imposter syndrome as these people who knew more than I would ever know with any amount of training. You just can't. You can't come back. Tenure, I ended number one. And that was the first month that I thought, oh, I didn't just get lucky. Maybe the harder I work, the luckier I get, which is definitely in fanatical prospecting. And so as soon as I read Jeb's word that said that, that made my heart just so warm and fuzzy because I left that first kickoff. I'd been rookie of the year. I left that first kickoff like, no, I finally found a culture of excellence with brilliant people that are passionate about their job and the industry, but I'll never be back. I'll never make it again to another sales kickoff. I'm going to get fired. I, I don't have what it takes to be consistent. And so that final, st- that September stack ranking, when I ended the month number one, was like, no, I'm, I'm Net lucky. I am an ultra high performer. And it was like the moment I said I was an ultra high performer, there was no going back. And I was an ultra high performer. Now, I'm not saying I'm MJ. I'm definitely like Dennis Rodman or Pippen. Like I'm always in your top three because I do a lot of extracurriculars. Okay. But you could count on me if you were my manager to help you hit your number. Right. And I always had one in the one, right? One more call I could make. I love that because I just hearing your story and your journey, I feel like you've been an ultra high performer from the very beginning and maybe you didn't recognize it. And then one day you were like, you said it and then you become it. I think that's really interesting because that goes hand in hand too with the imposter syndrome and forgetting to realize how amazing we are and giving ourselves a little bit of credit for it. Yeah, I think that there are, Still probably are smarter people on my team than me. And well, there are definitely, but there were smarter people at that time, but they didn't know my heart and they didn't know what it meant to me. And they didn't know my work ethic. And they didn't know that for me, this was changing my family tree and that this was, yes, my quota was cute, but I was, I had a borrowed future. I had student loans up to my eyeballs and I knew what I needed for my house expenses, my living expenses. And then no matter how hell or high water, I was going to put 
five pay a month on of my commission check towards those to pay off that number, right? Like it, like my quota was a suggestion, but my personal goals financially meant so much more, right? And so as that joint venture happened, I think this is what I've learned about changes. I asked questions that defined gaps that the leaders didn't know, but to help solve those gaps, to be the answer. And I'm actually so grateful for COVID because I felt like I had such a disadvantage training and upskilling in the remote world before remote work was popular. And we definitely weren't able to offer it totally in the best way at that time period because our headquarters are in American Bork, Utah, and I'm in a satellite office in Chicago. And so I felt so disadvantaged, but I didn't know that my scrappiness and my relationship building And my energy of building a network to solve my problems was setting me up for future success. So it wasn't until Gina, I had a one-on-one with my director where he's like, how come you're not out of sorts? You're still consistent, even though we're all working from home and we've all never done it before. And I'm like, this isn't new for me. These are how I solve my problems. This is how I've been operating in your world for years. And so I got to spotlight that infrastructure and help people that were struggling on my team upskill and level up. And I hosted a lunch and learns, or I've hosted a book club, really. And I took everyone through fanatical prospecting and virtual selling. And I told people things like they were caught flat-footed and they were in the post-pandemic world and they needed to stop talking and all the social work things that I knew. I was happy to have virtual selling as a tool to teach my other coworkers who never worked from home how to do that. And just living by example and kind of leading from the front. And so I called my manager and said, hey, can I be a team lead? And he's like, we don't have those. And I'm like, well, I'll show you. I'll show you what I'll do. And so for six months, I hosted my trainings and my book clubs and introduced people to my friends at the company to help them solve their escalations or problems. And he put it in a Teams chat six months later that I'd been nominated as the pod leader. And everyone kind of laughed. They're like, of course, she's our team lead. He's like, yeah, you didn't have to go to any of those trainings. You've just been doing that for fun. <laughs> and it was really my honor and privilege to do that for the next year while moving up in quota coverage, as well as doing that. And I was so grateful to then be able to apply for national sales manager about 10 months later. And in 2021, got into full-time people leadership on the team of the team that I was actually on, which is extraordinary and and doesn't often happen. And so I I am really grateful. That is such an amazing story. What do you love most about being a leader? Hard. As long as you don't call me a manager, we can still be friends because I feel like if I have to manage you, there's a problem, right? And so I'm so grateful that I do get to be a delegate, right? More than anything. I think a a leader is really someone that can help people remember who they are when they forget. And I've developed a couple of different tools for doing that. The first one is you're looking at, uh, since we are on camera, I have a cookie jar of things on my desk um, of hard things that I've done. And I can use that to remind myself of hard things that I've done when I I have to make up one more prospecting call or go through something difficult, right? As as an individual contributor, I can draw on those things and just kind of give some levity to the situation. I think it's also helping people develop personally and professionally. Like I really do believe in the definition of servant leader. And I want to leave everybody better than I found them. I want them to be the healthiest emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially that they can be just a better version of themselves, right? And so 
I do that by using the sales gravy gold planning, right? Which, hey, this is a plug. You need to update it. It's also 2022 on there. Okay. But it works the same way where we can break down those categories of goals, personal, financial. And so if I can get to know what their reasons are for doing something, then I feel better equipped to put them in position to win, right? And their success is my success. And I'm proud to say I did have probably the most people promoted off my team last year of the other co-managers that I had. And, and to me, that's the ultimate sign of, of leadership is just making sure that you're putting people in a position to accomplish their goals and develop their personal brand inside a big company, which is hard to do. And, and seeing being a professional sales leader is so rewarding. I lived for the dopamine hit of my quota. And now I'm fiending. I can get it eight or 18 times in a month. Like, are you any? <laughs> like, I think you could and see that Clary or whatever pipeline tool you're using go up, right? So I think that's what's really been fun for me. So you're inspired and motivated by the wins of your team. Oh, absolutely. In fact, they've meant more to me than any win I'd ever personally had. Any President's Club trip, anything None of that meant as much as that first time you have that lower performer or that person that's feeling or thinking they're a lower performer, turn it around and go from maybe a performance plan to president's club. There's no tears of joy greater than that Mm. and getting the love on them and remind them who they are and see them accomplish their goals and use these commission checks to fund their dreams. We've had people on our sales floor whose mortgages were in forbearance or were sleeping in our their cars at our company, and they were able to transform their lives, right? Again, so powerful what you can do with a commission check. I just think it's absolutely transformative. And it's not about, I think a lot of times it's, we think about the car, it's not. It's about the choices people get to make to live the life that they want to live. Yeah. And I can see that they want, absolutely. Yeah. What's some advice that you can give other leaders, emerging leaders, especially, on how to get that person from a PIP to, from PIP to President's Club? Like, what are some things that that another leader could do to help those people? Because I I work with a lot of leaders who get frustrated and aggravated, like, oh, they're never going to change. This is what I'm dealing with. I'm not going to focus on it. So what advice could you give? Yeah, I think that they need to really focus on the relationship, like a lot of emotional investment to understand what's really holding that person back. So many times we focus on the product changing or the price changing or the process changing or their title changing and focus on that's why that person's not doing well. When we really have no idea, they're just at that change saturation point and there's something happening in their life and understanding who their support system is. I know one creative thing I did during this virtual reality we're all living in is I put a webcam on my TV and I um, sent someone a DoorDash gift card for Chipotle because my love language. I could be paid in guac and have no problems with that. And they brought their spouse and child to the other end of that camera. And my husband and I had guacamole on our couch and we got to know each other. And I got to learn who their support system was. And I think for a tool, if you really haven't, if you're really struggling and you need a tool, I love the Strengths Finder. And Don Clifton wrote a book called How Full Is Your Bucket? And it actually takes you through an interview of 
What do you really know about your people? Do you know what name they like to be called? What are their hot buttons? What fills their positive emotions? Who do they like to receive praise from? Because if I'm sending you a commission statement, I'm not going to say I'm proud of you. I'm going to say your great aunt, that's who raised you, would be proud of you. Like I want them to feel recognized at a deeply personal level. And so I've used that interview to ask them what kind of recognition do they like, public or praise? Is it a physical thing? Is it a note? And I, I always ask when I have a new report, what is the greatest recognition they've ever received? Because that helps me understand what that fourth grade spelling bee was like. It could be, and it's interesting what people remember. It's actually usually the soccer coach from the losing season that spoke some truth into their life when they really needed it. And so I would just say find a tool so that you can get started at the beginning, like Julie Andrews, the very beginning, a very good place to start. <laughs> I'm not a singer, but that, oh, like start over with your people and get to know them all over again. Because I guarantee you don't know the real issue because it is not because of outreach or one other phone system. That is not the issue. It is something in their heart or in their mind that is holding them back. Oh, my gosh. You are so inspiring. What is what's the name of that book? And it is How Full Is Your Bucket? And it's Positive Strategies for Work and Life. And it was co-authored. I'm a huge Don Clifton junkie as well. I'm a professional development junkie. I read a LinkedIn article last year. It might have been written by a bot. Who knows? Uh, ChatGPT. <laughs> and it said the average CEO in America reads 60 books a year. And so I set a goal to do that. And I last year did read 60, but I one of my literary mentors has always been like the Clifton or Ken Blanchard, anything that he co-authors, Patrick Lencioni and John Gordon for positivity. Those are kind of my go-tos. But I think understanding at the core level that your person is a person. And I, I, I would take a bullet for our chief revenue officer. He says something that makes me so proud to be in his Oregon build, be building a culture like this because most sales floors are not emotionally or psychologically safe. And that's what I love most about being a leader is creating a place where people can be themselves and succeed because of their unique strengths, not because I'm trying to all get to some level of mediocrity of sameness, right? And so one thing he says is, you're a person and I'm a person and it's all personal and it's never just business. And I love the freedom that gives me to get personal with people because they are persons. And so if you're a sales manager listening to this, you're going to have to just dig into that relationship and get to know that person a little bit better. I love that. I love that. I'm going to get that book. Thank you for that. Yeah. I, I think I that's really important. Share. I think that's really important because you have to understand what motivates people and what demotivates people. Oh. And everybody is so individual. And I think that's probably, to me, one of the most important tools as a leader. Reverse the golden rule, Gina. Do not treat me the way that you want to be treated. I, I, we have to. I want to be treated differently than you for a lot of reasons that we just learned about, right? Exactly. Um, so. the, the whole platinum rule, treat people the way they want to be treated. And you have to spend the time understanding how they want to be treated. We don't all want the same thing. That's kind of the thing I referenced earlier. Like, I, I don't need praise as much as I need to not be pushed down. That doesn't motivate me. I can pretty much motivate myself because I like to win, right? And so uh -huh. if, if you understand my competitive side, you're probably going to find a way to bring that out. 
Oh, yeah. And salespeople are the best. We're the quirkiest and we're all self-motivated, right? When I don't need an alarm clock. My dreams wake me up in the morning. And that's why I love being, call myself a leader. I'm not a manager. These people are up before I am even. And I think I get up early to do my miracle morning, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's take a couple minutes before we wrap up and talk about some of the work that you're doing to help lift women up, some of the work you're doing internally to do that. What does some of that look like? Yeah. So I'm so fortunate to work um, for an organization that does value diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so we do have employee resource groups. And I am a proud member of our Black Legacy professionals, but actually am a co-chair of our chapter's women's um, leadership network. And so really what that does is create a space for um, women to present and to get uplifted that maybe normally wouldn't have a prominent speaking position. So for example, our chapter did a presentation party. So even though it was silly and kind of a happy hour, you're presenting about a topic you're passionate about. And so you're presenting from a place of your genius. And so people are seeing you, Ori, and you might now get selected to be a host of a webinar, right? Or something like that. We also just recently were also fortunate in the fact that we have a female CEO of a, a software company here and she's writing a book. And so we got to interview her and ask her some of her professional habits that have made her successful and hear other women's career stories and how they've navigated changes in decisions and the different roles that maybe we go through. And we can even at a global level assign like a leave buddy. So if you're going on a parental leave, that can be really daunting. We can assign you a buddy to go through that process with as you're navigating your personal questions. Like, what if I want to tell my supervisor I want to stay off another week? Or you can kind of have somebody who went through that experience. And I think my favorite thing that we have is a podcast because we are a global company. So often you feel like you're the only one experiencing whatever it is, right? That's the story in our head most days. And so what's cool for for me is I just applied to be a host of the podcast and I had no idea these years later I would be a co-chair of our chapter just through that um, exposure play, which I think is the beauty of employee resource groups and why we need them to spotlight different people's abilities throughout the organization. And so that's been a group that's been really enriching and helps with a lot of career mobility. There are women that will meet each other in that group and have a safe place to kind of professionally panic if they're looking for an internal interview or they might mock interview or ask a little bit more about that role from someone that they've met. And it's really helped us kind of foster and develop a talent internally because they get to see other departments and other places in the organization that they could eventually move into. So it's really fostered a, a spirit of mentorship. I I love it. I love it. And you're going to be an awesome podcast host. Oh, thank you. I also do mentor three three women. We have some organizational development courses where you can learn about change management or accounting for managers that aren't financial. And just based off of kind of some of the feedback and questions I've asked in that group, other women in different verticals have reached out and asked if I would adopt them and mentor them. And so I am grateful to have three three mentees um, as well as have a mentor through that program because mentorship is so important in today's world. I love it. I love it. Now, I know I, I was talking about wrapping up the show, but I do want to talk about one more thing that we started to talk about 
because I think this is important, this work-life integration and the fact that you packed up and moved and left Chicago, because I think this is really fascinating. Can you share this story with us before we wrap up now? Because I love what you and your husband have done. Yeah. So I had a really hard time leaving my desk computer to do life. And I would notice it was seven o'clock and he'd kind of slipped in some food. And I never went for that bike ride on the one nice day that we had in Chicago that month. (laughs) So I was on a quest for better sanity, work-life integration. I don't believe in work-life balance. I, I do think that you are successful in the extremes. And so that's why it's important to integrate. And so I was on LinkedIn and I found an article that said there are 51 cities in the U.S. that will pay remote workers to join the remote work communities and that there are all these benefits. And I actually do blame my current company because when I was an individual contributor, one of my favorite territories, which surprises me to say, because I actually on Chicago as a territory, you'd think I'd want to sell where I work, live. It was Oklahoma. I had the nicest customers in the world in Oklahoma. I made some of the, the best connections there. And so when I saw Tulsa Remote was available, we applied. And so we each applied individually as remote tech workers. And we each got to get a $500 stipend to come visit Tulsa and see what it would look like to work and live here. And so if you do have a remote job and you don't know where you want to live when you grow up or you just need a change of scenery, it's an awesome work vacation. So we drove down here via Route 66 in October, <laughs> and that was so fun. And we set up camp. We're in an apartment, which we both never lived in, but they gave us each a living stipend of $10,000. That's what this specific program gives you. There are some in West Virginia that give you very much more, and then there are some that give a lot less. It just kind of depends on the state and what program they're running. And we're loving it. We have a beautiful co-working space that we can go into for the next three years that they fund. We have some health and wellness benefits for the first three months as we're getting set up and shop because moving is so emotionally and spiritually and physically draining. And there's just so many, so many perks. I feel like a little Bichon show poodle. This Friday, we're actually going to the Broadway (laughs) musical Hairspray and there's a pre-party with the cast and super reduced tickets. I think it was $30 to go to the Broadway show. And so you really get to experience arts and culture in a way you may not have been before. I'm not a foodie. I think Chipotle is fine dining. You've heard me talk about them three times already. But I've been to more James Beard award-winning restaurants free with this group. And like, I didn't even know like Tulsa had a food scene. I thought it was tumbleweed. Like that's me coming from Chicago. And I get here and it turns out those oil tycoons from the East really liked the opera and the ballet that they were used to back in the day. And so I'm in a mini baby Chicago, maybe. So I feel kind of like an expat here in Tulsa, <laughs> just because the cost of living is so different than Chicago. And the weather's so great. It's 61 degrees today and I'm overdressed everywhere I go and sweating profusely. But if remote work is what you are doing, then yeah, it's a really fun way to see a different part of the country and just make a lot of new friends. And yeah, I think it's just a good exposure play. I love it. And obviously you work for an organization that supports remote work and you can go do the work anywhere and still be a very effective leader. Yeah, I think the remote work movement is here to stay. I think it just takes more creativity. I was actually just evaluating my mission statement and making sure 
that it was still true to this year. And I did, I, I added a component when I started working virtually that said self, I value compassion, caring for all people, including myself, but practicing self-care will help me honor my commitment to health and fitness so I can maximize my potential. I never had that piece in there because when you're selling in person, Gina, you tell someone you're going to show up at Mastro's for lunch and you're buying and you're wearing a suit and you're early. That takes a lot of trust right there you get point. So much harder to bring this level of energy during your entire golden hours, right? And so I had to learn how to incorporate that so that I could be the best virtual salesperson and then ultimately leader because it's a lot more difficult to bring it virtually. But I think as long as you're creative and how you meet people and you start slow on calls, right? I can't just go for what? Disaster. How are you? Because I have no idea what happened to them that day before I jumped on this call. I have no idea if their cat just puked, right? So they're at home. So yeah, I think as long as we can be flexible, adaptable, and teachable and be intentional with how we do remote work, the remote work movement can be here to stay for sure. I love it. And and I love the point that you made about not jumping in. I think this is about being human. I've been on a lot of calls today, sales calls, alignment calls, podcast calls, every type of call. But Every one of those calls involves having a true interest in how someone's doing, how their holiday was, how was vacation, how's the day going, like true interest in that because I don't want to jump into a sales conversation. Yeah, I think if you can learn to be helpful and human, you can be successful in sales or in pretty much any professional discipline in the world, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think probably some of that, that, that social degree, social work degree has probably played off, uh, paid off for you big time. It was such a fabulous degree to learn critical thinking and group skills. I didn't realize how many classes I actually had about group work and leading groups and public speaking and teams and having really good openers and closers because you're leading group counseling discussions. Well, the same can be applied with tech workers who are just to shut up to change and are just scared and nervous about the economy or whatever. And so absolutely the best degree I could have ever gotten. So I'll say my MBA may have gotten me a position, but my bachelor's in social work has kept me relevant. Absolutely. I I love it. I'm in the middle of writing a book right now and I've been doing a lot of research. It's been a really interesting process. So I'm, my publisher wants me to work on like the history of improv and how improv came into everything, right? I was like trying to like fast track into it. And so I've had to do a lot of research on it. And I've learned things about the improv world that I didn't even know about, which is you'll have to read the book to find out. But there's a big portion in there on social work, specifically born in Chicago. This goes back to the early 1900s and the whole house in Chicago and the using improv to do group work and social work and group dynamics and how they use those skills to actually build better human interaction. And it's really quite interesting to see how that plays out and how beneficial that is, going back to just the concept of social work. When I think about the most successful sales reps, I, I do see them coming from psychology or other majors. I do think that if you ask me, I've never sold anyone anything. I've had a heart of a teacher and I really do believe that if they knew what I knew, 
they would do it. And I think that comes from that place of caring from social work, right? Yeah. Real yeah. Just believing that I don't sell dental software that I'm enabling small business to happen, right? Like there's more mom and pop single shingle dental practices than there are Fortune 200 software companies. And like that is the backbone of the American economy. And don't we forget it. But yeah, it's exactly it. Like just understanding that can you be helpful and can be human, right? Can you be human? Yeah, I love it. Well, I'd love to keep on talking to you, but I have a feeling we will be talking more in the future. There, You are so inspiring as a salesperson, as a leader, as a woman, as a human. I love our conversations. I think there's a lot that our listeners can get out of the show today. If people want to connect with you and get a little bit more Amanda and follow you and your cigar smoking and bourbon drinking, what are the best ways to reach out to you? Yeah. For a good cigar recommendation for a present, it's Miss Chicago Cigar on Instagram. But otherwise, I am on LinkedIn as Amanda Hannes, H-A-N-U-S. So Hector Alpha November Umbrella September. (laughs) Gotta throw that phonetic alphabet in there. Fantastic. Amanda, thank you so much for being on the show today. This was awesome. I love our friendship. I'm so excited to read your book. You have to sign it first, though. I will. I will make a special dedication. Well, awesome. Thanks again to Amanda. And thank you, listeners. And are you watching us on YouTube? Because you can watch this on YouTube as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About. Go to our website, womenyourmotherwarnedyouabout.com to find all of our social channels, to find me everywhere. We will see you next time. 